this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. If you've got a thirst for knowledge that never quits, Brightside Podcasts are just what you need. Whether you're into recent discoveries, space exploration, true stories, or useful tips for self-improvement, psychology, gadgets, or just your day-to-day routine, there's something for everyone. This place is one of the three city-states that exist nowadays. It consists of 63 small islands in Southeast Asia, and it's one of the most progressive countries in the world. Yep, it's lovely Singapore, and today you'll find out the amazing story behind its incredible success. Regarding size, Singapore ranks 177th in the world. Its total area is just 279 square miles, yet for such a small country, it has an impressive population of approximately 5.6 million. That makes Singapore the third densest country in the world. Despite its small size, in terms of business and economy, this city-state knows what it's doing. Singapore ranks 8th in the world as far as GDP per capita goes. And it imports everything, from fresh water to sand, because it doesn't have its own natural resources. But that doesn't prevent the country from having an impressive number of rich people. Over 17% of its population, or in other words, every sixth Singapore resident, has more than $1 million in assets. This is the highest concentration of mill- We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Millionaires on the planet. At the same time, its laws are based on honesty and transparency. Singapore is the least corrupt country in Asia, and it takes the fifth place among the least corrupted states in the world. Besides, you'll hardly see a beggar on the spotless green streets of the city. This could be because unemployment is practically non-existent. When you see the futuristic gardens, sparkling skyscrapers, efficiently organized transit system, parks, and scenic walkways of the city-state, it's hard to believe that just a few decades ago, it was a very different picture indeed. In the 1960s, Singapore was a town with smelly slums and streets controlled by numerous gangs. It had a weak legislative system, uneducated population, rampant corruption, and microscopic salaries. But in 1965, 
this city-state became an independent country. The new government started taking the first steps to restructure all spheres of life in Singapore. The country entered the 1970s as a stable state with a steady economic growth. And in a couple of decades, an impoverished island nation turned into a country that was confidently moving toward prosperity. Singapore had several problems it needed to solve, one of the biggest ones being a high unemployment rate. To tackle that major issue, the government started to emphasize the importance of social responsibility and self-reliance. Nowadays, Singapore has an effective tax system and pension scheme. You see, residents and their employers transfer a part of their income to visible accounts that they can track and monitor at any moment. Each person can use the funds from his or her account when they need to cover medical expenses, buy a house or an apartment, or when they retire. And while this system doesn't solve all problems, you can literally see it working in Singapore. The thing is that such a policy makes people take responsibility for their own lives and encourages them to succeed. Once the government showed trust in its citizens' capabilities, the people proved that they could work hard and reach their goals. But let's return to the 1960s. At that time, the citizens of the country were in desperate need for proper housing. You see, the city-state couldn't accommodate its growing population. The Housing Development Board, a special organization made to deal with this issue, set a five-year goal to create over 50,000 new houses. Interestingly enough, the government had a difficult time trying to persuade people who were living in the slums to move to these new high-rises. But as fate would have it, the Bukit Ho Sweet Fire of 1961 wiped out an area of 4.3 million square feet, turning the homes of 16,000 residents to ash. But all these people got new accommodation within a year. Plus, new houses were built in the area destroyed by the fire as well. By 1965, more than 51,000 new apartments had popped up all over the city, accommodating about 400,000 Singaporeans. Yet, there were still over 250,000 people living in the slums and 300,000 citizens residing in the suburbs. So, the country kept on constructing multi-story residential buildings. Also, there were important changes in homeowning. If, initially, people could only rent the apartments, in 1964, the government started to sell them. Already from 1968, people who lived in public houses could use their government pensions to get their own apartment. As a result, by 2016, 90% of Singaporeans were living in their own homes. What's more, 80% of these homes were situated in residential units that had been built by the state. That's a cool thing, because these houses are usually 20 or even 30% cheaper than the apartment buildings constructed by private companies. Besides solving the housing problem, the country also started to invest in its economic growth. Different industries were developing, and therefore, more and more new job opportunities for Singaporeans and expats were appearing every day. As a result, the per capita GDP in Singapore skyrocketed from $500 in 1965 to $14,500 in 1991. That's a whopping 2,800% in just 26 years. So, what is Singapore nowadays? Well, first of all, it's undoubtedly a vital transportation hub. As you already know, the city-state can't boast a large size or an abundance of natural resources. But it does have its own unique advantage – location, location, location. 
That's why Singapore prefers to transport people and goods. And it does this really well. Singapore's Changi International Airport has become a huge transportation hub, and its design simply takes your breath away. The port of Singapore is the second largest in the world. It's connected with 600 other ports in 123 different countries. In 2012, a new cruise terminal opened its gates, and it was two times bigger than its predecessor. Besides being a huge transportation center, Singapore is also a smart city, meaning over 90% of its residents have smartphones. Tufts University even named Singapore the world's most rapidly changing digital economy. And this smartness doesn't just mean quick fingers on a digital device. Singapore's Housing and Development Board is always working on its Smart Environment Project. That's a network of sensors that analyzes real-time humidity and temperature. So, the system turns on special fans in public buildings when need be. Not to mention, transport apps provide you with interactive maps and access to traffic cameras. If you travel by train outside of rush hour, you get different incentives and rewards. Singapore is also a country where urban areas can't exist without green space. First of all, this helps the city-state avoid dangerous pollution. Secondly, the founding prime minister of the nation, Lee Kuan Yew, once promised that Singapore would never turn into a gray urban jungle. Well, it looks like they're still keeping that promise. Besides, the little city-state houses a staggering number of sites and entertainment that attract millions of tourists from all over the world. What's even more incredible is that many of these places appeared just within the last decade. Take, for example, the National Stadium of Singapore. It was opened in 2014, and it's one of the biggest stadiums in the world. The venue can hold from 50,000 to 55,000 spectators at once. The construction of Universal Studios Singapore started in 2008, and it was already opened on March 18, 2010 for the workers of Resorts World Sentosa and their family members. As for the general public, they got access to all the fun entertainment on May 28, 2011. In 2010, Singapore witnessed the opening of one of the most famous resorts in the world, Marina Bay Sands. This resort consists of a 2,561-room hotel, a huge exhibition center, an impressive shopping mall, two theaters, a cinema, several restaurants with world-renowned chefs, and the biggest atrium casino in the world. There's even a famed infinity pool on the hotel roof. And chances are you've heard of the world-famous Gardens by the Bay. You may have even seen it at one point. This fantastic green space with futuristic metal trees was built to balance the harmful effect the construction of the Marina Bay Sands Hotel had on the environment. The garden's construction was finished in 2012. It's hard to believe that such a breathtaking place didn't exist some 10 years ago. Nowadays, it's one of the most popular tourist attractions in Singapore. More than 6.4 million people came to check it out in 2014, and in November 2015, the park greeted its 20 millionth visitor. Singapore is a fine example of how a country can transform within just a few decades if people are ready to make changes.